Welcome to the Springforth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made on April 3rd, 2022, the fifth Sunday of Lent. Good morning. morning. Welcome back, Juanita. Did you have a good time? Very rejuvenated? Or you feel rejuvenated? Yeah. Excellent. Florida can do that to you. (laughs) Announcements. Leading off, uh, thank you to all who helped tidy up and organize the church on Friday. In the back, beneath the, the... Okay, in the back is a container of greeting cards. We had greeting cards made, I don't know when, but there's a lot of those packets back there. They have, um, they're maybe, what, 20, 20 cards to a, to a box? Anyway, there's, there's first congregational greeting cards if you would like a packet. They're, they're back there. Yes, that's what, that's. Yes, thank you. Um, also, Al, why don't you tell us what you're planning in May and ways that we might be able to help you. Actually, come, come forward so that we can hear you on the mic. So there'll be no misunderstanding. <laughs> okay.
So for those who would like to work with Al on a project of a music celebration of life festival. And the reason why this comes up is because Lucy spearheaded the two community music fests that we had several years ago when we brought donations to the food shelf and we had lots of musical acts from around the county and we used the school's auditorium for that and, and Lucy sort of brought all these different individuals together and, and to one afternoon of, of music and talent. And so it seems to be a fitting way to celebrate uh, not only her contributions to the community, but just her life. <laughs> and so Al is hoping to, to bring honor you know, to her, her legacy and offerings by doing something to remember her and also to sort of bring additional healing to the community. Yeah, yeah, fair to the town. So, was that what it was? Okay, so it's almost coming right around the anniversary. All right. So, that's what's happening there. Mary, do you have anything? Steve, do you have anything? You don't want to tell them about what's going on up front? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, John Pierce will be working on the front of Sweet Home Under the Cracks, Concrete and Sealing It, and pulling all the old costs off, replacing it with a long term cost, and power washing and repainting it. Okay. Uh, he hasn't given me a timeline on that yet, but I expect the next couple of weeks out on that. All right. So, that, uh, depending on the time frame on that one, the front entryway may, um, exactly. So I just giving you a heads up as to if you see that happening, don't panic. It's uh, it's for the restoration of the of the front. Uh, council meeting on the tenth. Of course, then that begins Holy Week, and I want to apprise you of the Holy Week schedule here. Uh, our regular service here, obviously, on, on Sunday. Tentatively, we still have a film planned for that Wednesday in Holy Week. I haven't had a conversation with Casey as to whether or not we're going to continue on with, with a film for Holy Week. So tentatively, we are, we are planning a film. We're going to have Monday, Thursday service here at the church at 5 p.m. And Good Friday is going to be a Stations of the Cross walk at Turner Park. Um, Bob is the only one who's heard about this right now. But I have, uh, there's 13 stations. I will need readers. So if you're interested in walking and reading, obviously you don't have to do them at the same time. But um, we will see me, and then I will get you your sides. And we will gather at noon on Good Friday, the 15th, for that Stations of the Cross walk. And, oh, Rainer Shine? Oh, that's when it would be for your, okay. All right, because we're getting crosstalk here. I thought you were talking about Good Friday. I'm talking about Good Friday. Um, so Good Friday will be at noon at Turner Park, and then our Easter service, obviously, at 9 a.m. here. What's this Turner Park fun day? 
Oh, okay. And that's just the community's invited for that? And then they also have something at the library? Okay. All right. I'm glad you know what's what's happening. Cuz I don't. God be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joy are to be found. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us join together in our opening hymn, number 27.
When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then we were like those who dream. They then said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses of the Negev. Those who sowed with tears will reap with songs of joy. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Don't need it so close. The Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. The epistle comes from the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 4b to 14. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ 
and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, excuse me, behind the and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Jesus Christ. The gospel comes to us this morning from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those with him at the table. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed at Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common person used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She brought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Gospel. Please be seated. Let us pray. God of grace, certainty. We are close at hand to the day of resurrection. And we are making preparations to close out our Lenten journey, getting ourselves in the frame of mind to embrace the season of resurrection. For these last few days that we have in the season of Lent, for the exploration, the spiritual exploration that we have taken this past month, to try to draw closer to you and a deeper understanding of what it means to keep the cross before us, we ask that you would help us to persevere during this time, but at all times in our life, that we would never lose sight of you. It is that understanding that we enter into today's message as we think about keeping sight on Jesus who he is, and what he has done for us. Let this be the foundation of our life with you as we try to make good of the gifts you've given us, bringing healing to this world. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. Bless, keep, and guide us in Jesus' name. 
Amen. The passage that we have from John, this experience between Jesus and having his feet anointed is something that appears in all four Gospels. But John's Gospel takes a slightly different turn because the woman in question is not just a woman who, who comes in uh, off the street with, with her own issues, but it is part and parcel of the household of Lazarus. Now we know that Jesus attended many meals during his ministry. You could almost consider Jesus a social guy. And his presence at these meals was usually to benefit the host. Whoever was throwing the meal usually realized that if they were inviting Jesus, who was considered a, a rabbi of some great esteem, when the Pharisees opened their doors and says, Jesus, come and, and sit and be the guest of honor, it's because they wanted the community to say, see our good taste, see that we have this Jesus here, and, and, and you consider him credible, and we consider him credible, so obviously our esteem will go up by association with him. But we also know that Jesus had a way of sort of turning meals around because his, not only his charismatic uh, approach, but the ability for people to access God in and through him. We see that sometimes, even though he was a guest at meals, he soon became the host. We see this with Zacchaeus when he called Zacchaeus out of the tree. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I am dining at your house today. Zacchaeus had no intentions of inviting Jesus to his house. He just wanted to have a look at the man. He just wanted to see him. He's like, if I could just see him, maybe I might come to understand him. And then, of course, he got the grand prize, which is like, you get to host me. And as a result of that, your sins, which are many, will be forgiven this day before this crowd who holds you in great contempt. We also realize that when Jesus was at the wedding at Cana, his first miracle was turning water into wine, not because he wanted to, but because his mother realized that for the bridegroom to run out of wine was an insult and an embarrassment, a social faux pas, which you did not do in front of the company. So in order for this individual to save face, Jesus had to bring about the continuation of the wine so the party could ensue, and no one would know that there was a major hiccup that you didn't plan for your guests. But this scene in John's gospel today, Jesus is not just an honored guest He's a friend. And in this context, Jesus is more at home than in any other meal setting. He's among friends. And we understand that in this household, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, were the ones who had attended to him early on. We see that there was an instance in which Martha was preparing a meal for Jesus and his guests, because Jesus always traveled at least 12 deep. And so she was concerned as any one of us would be putting on a meal about the details being covered. Her sister Mary was sitting with Jesus and the others listening to his teaching, and Mary felt very comfortable being in that, that learning space, but Martha felt put out. So Martha sort of broke into Jesus' teaching moment and says, Jesus, you need to tell my sister to come help me. Right? You, you, you know the social order of the day, and, and unfortunately, we women are tasked with the responsibilities of feeding the entourage. And Mary's sitting here with the men and you know, getting all hopped up on the word of God, and I got dishes, I got 
food to prepare. So you need to tell her to get up and come and help me. And Jesus sort of mildly chastises her and says, Martha, Martha, you were concerned about many things. But Mary has chosen the better portion, and that cannot be taken away from her. Now that's very important for us to note because in this moment that John gives us, in this gospel, we're going to think back to that exchange and what's taking place now because John brings it all home. He brings it all home. At the home of Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, whom Jesus raised from the dead, just in the previous chapter, we didn't have that chapter today, but just in the previous chapter, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. He was dead four days, and word was sent to Jesus while Lazarus was ill that he was sick and that he should come back, but he didn't. He tarried, and then he finally turned to his disciples and says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, and the disciples misunderstood it. They thought he was talking about literal sleep, and they said, Lord, if he is sleeping, you know, let him get some rest. And Jesus is like, okay, they don't understand the metaphor. Our friend Lazarus has died. Then Thomas, the twin, gets all excited and says, well, let us also go back that we might die with him. Because they knew that the end was near and they knew that there were many people who were seeking to take the life of Jesus. And they figured anyone who was associated with Jesus would also have their life threatened. So Thomas is like, fine, if we've got to go back to Bethany, which is just very close to the outskirts of Jerusalem, let's do it. And that's when Jesus comes back and the sisters meet him and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha says it to him. He sends for Mary. Mary comes and says the same thing to him. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you not believe? They go, yes, we believe in the last day that will be raised, but my brother's dead now. And he didn't have to be because we sent word to you while he was still ill. And Jesus says, well, where have you laid him? And so he, they take him to the tomb. Now, now, keep in mind, there were mourners that were gathering around. There was a crowd there. And when Jesus said, roll away the stone, people lost their minds because, you know, not only the, the Levitical hygiene laws, but you had, like, just physical hygiene laws. And the man's been dead four days. There's going to be some smell. And further, it's like an abomination. It's against all Levitical laws. Jesus, do not do this thing. And he turns and he says, well, do you not believe that I come from the Father? They go, well, yeah, we, we do. Then let me do this thing. So Jesus goes, they roll the stone away. He says a prayer, Father, I'm glad that you have heard me. He goes, but I know that you always hear me. I've said this prayer for those who were witnesses. And then he says those incredible words, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, still wrapped in his burial shroud, comes to the entrance of the tomb. Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Okay, so Lazarus is alive again. Life has been brought back to his body. So this meal that Jesus is attending, this is a gratitude meal. This is the meal unlike anything that he's ever experienced because there has been some, this family has received tangible evidence of God's grace in incredible ways. So what we have here is Martha's got a completely different demeanor now. She's not worried about whether or not Mary's going to attend to the meal. She's not concerned about that because she realizes that, that Mary, in her contemplation, actually gave her a, 
a greater and deeper understanding of things which Martha probably came to realize when her brother was called forth from the tomb. Now, Mary's anointing is an act of gratitude. We have to look at it and accept it at that. Mary's brother was dead, but now he lives. He's there sitting at the table with Jesus. And in that space, and in that household, the reality of life and death is palpable. As a matter of fact, many commentators have spoken about the fact that when she pours out this nard, that there's a perfume that just completely engulfs the room. If any of you have ever been away from your house for any extensive of time, you've gone on a vacation and you're away from your house for at least a week or more, when you come back into your house, you are greeted with your smell, which you don't realize because we're always in. It's kind of like the water we swim in. But when we are away from our space and we come back to our space, we realize this is us. It smells like us. This is our place. This is our abode. That fragrance that Mary poured out on Jesus' feet was an ointment that was used for burials and anointments. So now the house is filled with the smell of the transition. This is the smell that you would have at the time when people are, bodies are prepared to be entombed. So you can't get away from it. It's very tangible. And it completely centers everyone's mind in that room around the reality that life ends in death. Not to mention the fact that you have Lazarus, who was previously dead, who's also sitting at table. So you've got two really palpable, tangible images of that this animation does come to an end. She shows her gratitude and her faith, combining the act of this anointment and her gratitude in recognizing that Jesus is the Son of Man. And this fragrant ointment serves to underscore this reality of life and death. Now, they're having a moment here. Mary's having a moment thanking Jesus in the only way that she truly knows how. This, this ointment is costly. The day's wage in first century Palestine was one denarii. It says that this ointment cost 300 denarii. Now, if we want to take our Gregorian calendar and apply it to this, it's about a year's wage. I don't know what you make annually. You know what I make because it's on some public record. But I don't know any ointment that costs that much. And if you've got any ointment like that that costs your annual wages, this is, this is serious business here. So what Mary is doing is she's taking her most precious gift and giving it to the most precious gift, which is Jesus. But the moment is broken. We're not allowed, they're not allowed, and we're not allowed to just marinate in, in what's happening here. The gratitude of Lazarus being given a few more years. The reality that Jesus is the incarnation of the living word of God. Mary wanting to show her gratitude in the only way that she knows how and the fragrance of life and death filling the air. We just want to be able to just have a meditative, quiet moment. But then Judas has to break the silence. Judas breaks the moment, and the narrator only tells us that it appears that Judas feels that Mary's gesture is misplaced. It's an expressive, expensive ointment, a year's wage, and Mary's just... She just wastes it. She just pours it out on the man's feet. And Judas, he's got something to say about that. 
Now, since Judas has dashed the moment with matters of economy, Jesus has to respond, right? Jesus was having a moment. You could almost just, just imagine him just sort of letting, because there would be stillness in there. There'd be stillness. This is a very intimate scene here. It's stillness. It's usually hospitality to wash the dust from someone's feet. Jesus does this later on, the Passover meal with his disciples. But for Mary to put this ointment on there puts a different spin on it, that now she is almost bringing a blessing to the feet that have brought her good news. But it was too much for Judas. One, he can't stand Mary in this, in this capacity. And furthermore, this ointment, he could have, could have sold that, gotten a percentage of that take. And furthermore, he just doesn't want anyone to understand what's really taking place. So he gums up the moment with his impropriety. He's inappropriate. This is an inappropriate thing, but this is what we've come to expect from Judas at this point in time. So Jesus responds to him, and he says, look, as long as imbalances exist in the world, you will have to deal with them. Now, Jesus is speaking to Judas and the other disciples. We assume the other disciples are in the room. And he is like, you will always have the poor with you. And when he says that, he doesn't mean that we will always have the poor because of our inability to handle things correctly. The poor will always exist because Jesus says the power structures that are in place, which we, the church, are called to address, will continue to keep people disenfranchised. And so Jesus is like, that concern is going to be an ongoing concern. You're not going to take care of it. Even if you sold this ointment right now and gave the money to the poor, you're not going to wipe it out. Right? You're not going to wipe it out because the, the reason why you have people who are marginalized are greater, loftier issues which this church will have to address throughout its entirety. He's like, but right now, you will not always have me. And what he is saying is that you will not only have the physical presence of me, you will not always have me teaching you in three dimensions. You don't miss this moment. He goes, because my work is not yet done. And Mary anointing my feet and preparing me for my burial is something that proves that she understands what I've been talking about. Jesus has been alluding to his death and his crucifixion many times to his disciples, but they did this because we don't like to hear unpleasant things. So whenever Jesus says that the Son of Man is going to be given up and will be arrested and crucified and on the third day raised again, they, they didn't hear that. But when Mary was there contemplating the master's teaching and her sister was getting all tied into knots, she heard, she understood. So when it came time for six days before the Passover and Jesus knew that the cross was closer than ever in his life, Mary understood that and took the right steps to prepare him for this moment. And Judas wants to come and make it look like he's all down for service when he's not. He had already, his heart had already left Jesus. And he wanted to make it a matter mostly about him. Now, as we prepare ourselves for Holy Week, this reminder of Jesus to reflect on his life and death brings our own life and our own future death into sharp relief. That's why Lent it's a particularly difficult season. Maybe people actually don't even like Lent because we are encouraged. It starts with Ash Wednesday and the saying that 
dust you are and dust you shall return. That's, that's a sobering petition. That petition says to us, no matter how many years you get, no matter how vital you think you are, no matter what kind of good and healthy diet you think you have, we're going to die. Healthy people die. We've seen it happen. And so Jesus wants us to recognize that his death is going to be the death to end all deaths. And if Judas takes our attention from our focal point on Jesus and moves it over here about matters of commerce and matters of charity, which are important in the work of the church, we're going to miss what's the heart of the matter right now. We're going to miss the individual who's going to give us the authority and the ability and the agency to be able to accomplish these good things before our time is wrapped up. Now, life informs life, but I would also maintain that death informs life even to a greater degree because the fact that we know that our life is finite, that it will come to an end, and that we don't exactly know when that will happen, it does change how we live. It does change what we do. There's a film, you've probably seen it, or you've heard about it. It's got Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman, The Bucket List. And in The Bucket List, you've got these two terminally ill men. I'm just gonna get the spoilers, because if you haven't seen it, that's, that's your fault, because it's, it's an old film. <laughs> but the spoilers are you have two terminally ill men. They meet together in a hospital. One of them was a working guy, mechanic, Morgan Freeman, and the other one's just like excessively wealthy guy, Jack Nicholson, flamboyant, you know, has this manservant always running around, running errands for him, even from the hospital bed. And they realize that, you know, they're not going to get out of this one alive. So they begin uh, writing a list down of things that they wanted to do uh, before they died. And, you know, Morgan starts his list and he convinces Jack to join him because Jack Nicholson's character has the money to make these things happen. So the two of them go on this sort of adventure of um, exploring all of the incredible things that they would do if, if they had the time and the money. And they realize, well, time, time sort of we have. And he's like, money we have. So they go off on this adventure and tick off the things on their bucket list. And it's a, it's a great romp buddy film. So we understand this as death informing our movement in life. And that's why Jesus wants us to focus on his final moments. Because his death is going to inform our life. His death and his resurrection informs how we live our lives. The very the very way that we style ourselves, the very service that we interact with one another. And so as we prepare for our own Holy Week and to hopefully reach another Easter season and resurrection, we have to have this, this thrust of Jesus' gentle admonition to pay attention to his anointing and his imminent death will have great impact on our life and the work to come. So do not lose sight of the cross because the cross has much to teach us about ourselves and God. Amen. Let us join together in our hymn of the day, number 170.
Let us pray. Oh, prayer request. This comes to us from Pastor Scott Meyer. He wants us to lift up both uh, Tammy and her sister Kim. Their father, Larry Borcheting, is down to his final weeks, maybe a month of cancer. It is ravaging his body. And the sisters are taking turns being with him so that way he, is, he always has someone who's there. Um, and I told him that I would lift up this, this prayer concern for Larry Borcheting, Tammy and Kim and family, and also that we would continue it um, through our social media. Let us pray. And God, we present ourselves to you this morning. Know that we are two weeks away from Easter. And that is a day that has, of course, profound significance for us because of what it entails and what it represents. But we can't get through Easter until we've confronted the cross. Easter is lost on us if we do not embrace the cross. So we, we stare squarely at you who have shown us the way. You've taken us by the hand. You walk us into the valley, the shadow of death. You teach us what it means to not fear. But you also give us the ability to, to embrace life. And not just to fill it with pleasure and distraction, but to embrace life in order that we might be able to engage in a certain level of service that makes a contribution to others both in this present and those that we will leave the world to when we are gone. Sometimes we've done be this better than others. It's a work in progress. We're always learning. We come before you today and ask that you would let your prayers be on those who are sick and suffering. We lift up Larry Borchening in our prayers, his daughters, Tammy and Kim, and their spouses and family. We ask that you would give strength to that family during this time as, as Larry prepares to transition. And what that means for those who will be with him at bedside. It's a cross to bear. But we who have been there times before, we know that we do not bear that cross alone and they don't bear it alone. Not only is the companionship of the spirit with them, but also the communion of all the saints, the communion of the church and the faithful. They have partners. Guide them and guide all 
of those who are caring for loved ones who are healing, who are in undergoing treatments, who are just struggling. We entrust these things to you because where else can we go? There's no one else who has patience nor zeal enough to endure our complaints, our weariness, our tears. You can encompass all of that and more. You never disappoint. So bring restoration to weary bodies and minds and assurance that you are with us no matter what the need. Receive the prayers that we set before you today. Our joys and concerns, we offer them up and ask that you would hear them as we offer them. Hear our prayers. Receive these prayers, loving God, offered up to you. And may you remember us as we join together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
receive these gifts that we offer unto you, God. We thank you once again for providing us the opportunity to serve you and to serve others through a variety of means, both in the church and in the world. We ask that you would continue to give us agency and the little nudge that we need to take these gifts to serve the world. Let's join our church covenant. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Loving and most merciful God, allow us to come and to receive these elements that you have prepared for us, the significance of what they represent, and the confidence and the assurance that we do not leave empty, but restored, renewed, revitalized. We ask these things in your name. Amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, took bread, divided it, says, this is my body which has been given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. He presented them with the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant. Christ's blood shed for the remission of sins. Giving you thanks, most merciful God, for your mercies, for your nudges, for your patience, and for allowing us to go into the world to make contributions in a variety of ways. You have made these things possible, and we thank you for keeping us consistent, even sometimes when we feel weary and want to give up. For your nudge, for the motivation that you provide, for the assurance that we are not alone, we thank you. Amen. We join together, or we close, with 524.
May God's watchful eye lead you safely from this space back into the greater sphere where your gifts and wisdom might be applied to transform and renew and encourage lives as your life has been transformed, renewed, and encouraged. The grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you now and always. Amen. Go in peace.